Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates, and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic. Well, hello everyone, Ryan Bennis here. Welcome back to the FMH InsureCast. On today's episode, we are talking about PRF, or Pasture Rangeland and Forage. And here to discuss this topic with me today, uh, a guest that's been on the show before, Chuck Hefner. Welcome back, man. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to be here today and uh, excited to be talking about PRF. Very timely topic. Perfect. And both Chuck and I are strategic account managers, so we're working with agents out there talking about products like PRF. Um, Chuck, I'm going to toss it to you right off the bat. It's uh, early October right now when we're recording this. Why are we talking about PRF right now? Yeah, so PRF, uh, the main reason why we're talking about it right now is because of the dry conditions that we're seeing across across the Midwest here, uh, specifically the Western Midwest. Um, you know, we have more cattle that are that are being raised the further west you go. And uh, in, in that area is, has been in a pretty substantial drought for a number of months now. Uh, and, and there's really no sign of it getting any better. So uh, from folks that I've talked to, we're, we're looking at maybe even a, a multi-year drought uh, here. And so there's a lot of producers that are interested in purchasing coverage that would protect them for the lack of rainfall. Gotcha, gotcha. And, you know, it seems like every year we get to this time of year and the PRF rumblings start up a little bit. And it's every year, it seems like we grow in popularity. Um, it, it feels like at some point we have to run out of momentum on PRF, but it just hasn't yet. Um, there's still a lot of acres out there to be insured though, isn't there, Chuck? There are, yeah. You know, I was talking to an agent uh, here just last week and PRF is one of those anomalies in the crop insurance world where uh, we have new producers out there who don't have crop insurance for for PRF purposes. The the beauty of PRF is that there's untapped acres and untapped insureds who don't even know about the product yet. And so it's it's really an open market. Yeah. And just for a little perspective on that, because that's a great point, Chuck. I think we were just looking at some numbers the other day and there was at least 100 million acres of um, pasture ground, hay ground all over the U.S. that has not been insured under PRF that would be eligible. And there's probably a lot more acres than that actually out there that could be insured. Um, comparing that to our row crops, where I think, you know, your corn, soybean, wheat, cotton growers, probably at least 90%, if not upwards of 95% of all those acres are in the program already. So PRF, even though it keeps growing every year, there's it keeps growing because there's room to grow. Um, and there's still a lot of opportunity out there for for all agents, not just those that have been using or been selling that PRF policy for quite some time now. But yeah. Um, yeah, so backing up a little bit here, Chuck, especially for agents and insureds that maybe haven't heard of PRF or maybe that's all they have heard is that, hey, everybody's buying PRF. I just read an article about it. Tell me a little bit of the policy basics and what we're really covering with a PRF policy. Sure. Yeah. The the PRF policy, it, it utilizes a rainfall index. And what the rainfall index is, is it looks at the amount of rainfall that falls within a two-month time frame. And those two-month time frames are called index intervals. And the whole year from January to December is split up into 11 different index intervals. 
And so a producer is able to pick and choose where they want to place coverage. They can put a percentage value in each one of those index intervals. And if the rainfall in that two-month time frame falls below what their coverage level is, then we will uh, be able to pay an indemnity in that regard. Gotcha. So really what we're looking at is historic rainfall in those two-month time frames. Uh, the historic rainfall, we have data from 1948 to current. And so it's a large, large amount of uh, years that we're looking at there um, to see what the average is for that, that, that area. So Wonderful start there. Yeah, so what we're not covering is production loss if it's hay. Uh, we're not covering acres that can't be grazed on. We're just simply covering rainfall in a respective interval. And as Chuck mentioned, um, farmers have the option to pick multiple intervals. In fact, you have to have at least two. Uh, pick multiple intervals in which we're covering uh, lack of rainfall. So tell me a little bit more about that rainfall itself. Is it the producer's rainfall? Is it the county? How does that get determined, Chuck? Yep. So the, the continental United States is split up into different grids. And in a grid uh, specifically is a quarter degree latitude by a quarter degree longitude. Uh, because we are north of the equator, those grids are, are, uh, are rectangles, essentially. And so they're about 15 to 17 miles tall by 12 miles wide is about what, what I've seen, depending on where you're at across the United States. Um, and so we have these grids that are set up and, and the, the rainfall, there are gauges out there. They're official NOAA gauges. That's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, we utilize that information for this policy. So it's not any one producer's rain gauge. It's not any entities other than NOAA, which is uh, a, a rather large organization that uh, is utilizing that data for much more important things than PRF insurance. <laughs> um, but what we do is we interpolate that data and look at it and see how, how storms go across an area and see how they cover a grid. And we will figure out how much rain uh, generally has fallen within that grid. Right. And that's a tough number to land on, uh, the rainfall that is, because it's not just any recorded rainfall on the um in the gauges within a grid instead it's kind of an interpolated data set where we we measure the rainfall we get in the grid you're in in the grids that are touching your grid and then even outside the grids touching that so we're actually part rainfall uh in your grid is actually partially determined by the 30 plus grids that surround the grid that you're in so it gets to be a little complicated landing on that number. And so it's it's probably not a number we should focus too much on. What's more important is that if we have generally in the area less rainfall, that's going to be reflected in that number. Um, one thing that's very nice about PRF, Chalk mentioned it earlier, is that we have 70 plus years of information. And you could go back to any year in any grid and say, well, show me 2012. 2012 was a dry area across much of the Midwest. Show me what that looks like on here. And if you were in a drought area in 2012, boom, 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 you can see those summer months, those summer intervals are where we had some very low rainfall. And so those those numbers do get reflected out. It's just not going to be down to the inch or half inch that you actually experienced on your farm. Yeah, exactly. And, and Ryan, that's a great point. There's been a number of meetings that I've been a part of where producers are involved 
And, uh, you know, a producer will even say, hey, let's look back at 1983 or whatever year they have stuck in their mind about how dry it was. And, uh, and they say, you know, we had a wet winter and then it just turned off dry. And generally, that's exactly what's, what, what gets shown in the historical rainfall amounts. So uh, although we're not looking at, yes, we only got a quarter inch that entire summer, we can see that, yes, there were large payments that summer because it was so dry. And so generally for, for the, the rainfall that gets recorded, it, it really does do a pretty good job of, uh, of showing what the conditions are like within those grids. So, Chuck, rainfall is what drives a policy. How far below our expected rainfall do we have to fall before we get a payment? Yep. So that depends on what level you choose to insure with. Uh, we have we have different levels that you can insure with, but 90% is the highest level that you can choose. And so if you purchase a 90% coverage level with your, your PRF policy, then if you receive less than 90% of average rainfall in those index intervals you choose to insure in, then we will kick you out of payment. You can look at an 85, an 80, a 75, or a 70% policy as well. Uh, of course, that's a larger deductible, uh, but the premium dollars also show that that's a much larger deductible and therefore a lot cheaper premium uh, by moving down into those lower levels. Gotcha. So, Chuck, we know how uh, a payment gets triggered. You just mentioned that with the levels, but how much of a payment am I going to get? Are there other factors involved and how do I know, how can I estimate kind of what I'm going to get paid? Sure. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that, Ryan. There, there's a little bit of math involved here. And so I believe uh, we'll, you're up we'll for the challenge. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so RMA has established county-based values for every county across the United States. Uh, and those county-based values reflect a couple different things. One is the, the quality of grazing acres in that area. Uh, two, that also includes stocking rates and different things along those lines. You know, a county-based value in, in the state of Georgia is going to be much higher than a county-based value in the state of Utah, uh, just because of the, the quality of the grazing acres there. Um, so those county-based values are, are the, uh, the, the start of what your liability could be. Then we also have what's called a productivity factor. And your productivity factor allows you to choose if you want, or if your acres, the intention behind it, the acres that you are grazing, if they have a higher quality than what the county says that value is worth, or if they have less quality. Uh, so if, for instance, I have a $50 an acre uh, county-based value that RMA has set, I can choose up to 150% of that with my productivity factor. 150% of $50 would give me $75 an acre. And so I can insure that acreage for, uh, or set my value for $75 an acre there, and then insure 90% of that with a 90% coverage level. Conversely, if my acreage maybe isn't as good as what the county base value says, then I can go down to 60% of that number, and I can insure those acres at a $30 value, have 90% of that, and have $27 an acre coverage there with a 90% policy. Um, now, that gets split up amongst all the index intervals. And so uh, you're able to choose your percent of value there. But uh, in general, we have a lot of flexibility here to be able to say, um, you know, I understand RMA set the county base value at this dollar amount. I believe my acres are worth more than that. So therefore, I can increase it by 150%. That's the, uh, that's the general idea behind the county base value and the productivity factor. 
the reality of it is, is that the productivity factor is a way for us to control our premium dollars spent. So really, at the end of the day, the producer can say, uh, I don't want to spend $6 an acre, but I'm willing to spend 4 Well, fantastic. We can, we can play with that number and get it to where it's a very amicable place for a producer to, uh, to, to pallet. Now, that, well done, Chuck. I think there's a lot of math in there. Um, one thing that makes it really a lot easier than even explaining this over, uh, over podcast is that yeah. we have some tools um, that our agents can use to show a grower any grid and its historic performance in that grid. And we can place the, uh, the value where we want to in our intervals and it spits out what those payments are for all 75 years, as you mentioned. So um, one other thing I just point out, uh, we didn't mention earlier, we kind of tiptoed around it is that PRF in particular basically has two different practices. We can uh, either ensure uh, hay ground or grazing ground. And those county base values are quite a bit different between the two. However, where we trigger on the rainfall index is the same. So for instance, in Iowa, Iowa, where I'm sitting right now, hay ground could be a county base value of almost $500. The grazing ground could be 80 bucks an acre. Um, as you go further west, those, those values decline, as Chalk had mentioned. Um, you know, there's some grazing acres out in the far west that are less than $10 an acre in value. Uh, maybe less than that. I don't know. Chalk's got more experience out there than I do. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen some pretty low ones out, out on, on the other side of the Rockies, out west of the Rockies. Gotcha. But ultimately, um, once we kind of have the policy basics understood, it's a matter of applying this policy to something that we need. So, Chuck, when you're thinking about this from a grower's perspective, when they're sitting down with an agent to talk about this, and by the way, sales closing date on PRF uh, has been moved back two weeks. I think last year was the first time we had the December 1st sales closing date. But when uh, an agent's sitting down with a farmer or rancher to talk about PRF, what are the what are the strategies that they're talking about? What are the things they're considering? Because we have all these options with the level and productivity factor and so so forth. Yep, yep, absolutely. So um, a, a lot of it really comes down to um, in, in areas where I live in Kansas, we are short on forage. Uh, we've been on short on forage all year, uh, honestly. And so we've had producers that have been bailing soybeans trying to figure out where we are going to get this protein that we need to feed our cattle. Um, and even to the point of, of different things happening, like I, like I just mentioned, bailing soybeans, which isn't really a very common practice for us around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you know much about bailing soybeans, you don't get a whole lot out of a soybean plant as far as forage. Um, now, there might be some protein there, but if we're bailing them, there's not going to be a whole lot of protein there for the cattle. So uh, what it comes down to is, is in years like this one that, we've, that we're in right now, uh, we are having to feed our cattle for a longer period of time. And so that costs us money. We have to go buy hay. We have to go bale hay. Uh, we have to go find it somewhere to be able to keep these animals fed. And, uh, and so the, the lack of forage is, is a big deal. Another thing, uh, in some areas where maybe we have ample pasture, you know, even in Eastern Kansas in the Flint Hills, we've got some areas that we're going to, we're going to have forage. We're, we're not worried about running out of, of, uh, 
food for animals to eat. But what we do worry about is running out of water. And so if we get in a dry spell, we have ponds dry up. We have, we have maybe some springs that aren't running as full. Uh, and so therefore, we have to haul water. And in those situations, uh, hauling water costs money too. Not only the cost of the water, but more importantly, uh, I don't know if you've seen the price of diesel lately, Ryan, but uh, it's rather expensive to run a tractor across a 40-mile stretch of road uh, to go fill up water tanks for cattle, um, and let alone the time it takes you. And so time is money, and therefore it's costing you money to go do that. So uh, there's there's a lot of reasons to look at uh, PRF, not only from a forage perspective, but also just from, from a water perspective, because cattle need two things. They need food and water uh, at the very minimum uh, to, to stay healthy and survive. That's what they say about me, Chuck. Just give him food and water. He'll be good. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so no, those are good points. So ultimately, if, a, if we have a lack of rainfall, depending on your area, there's costs to make up, right? We have um, water to haul, feed replacement. Something is, is happening there when we're in a drought that's costing us money. PRF is here to, to replace those costs. So how does a producer who has so many options with the intervals and things decide which intervals to ensure? Um, are they, are they attacking this more from a need based or are they thinking of it more as where am I expecting payments to come from or what's the, what's the uh, outlook there, Chuck? Yeah. So that, that'll depend on completely who you talk to uh, and maybe what the risk tolerance is as well. Um, you know, there are producers out there that look at it as a way to say, uh, you know, these four months are the time periods that um, ha- have the most likelihood for the highest payments. And therefore, I'm going to put as much of my percent of value in, into those two index intervals, those four month, those two two month time frames uh, to be able to see if I can collect the highest indemnity possible. Um, but there are also a lot of producers who look at it and say, when do I actually need the rain? Because the last thing you want to have happen is for you to pick intervals that you think might uh, pay the best. Turn out we're wet then, we don't get a payment, we're dry when you actually need it. And then you still have the cost of not only uh, supplementing feed and or water, but you also have the cost of the premium dollars that you spent purchasing this policy. Uh, and so we want to make sure there's a happy happy play there between uh, getting, the, getting the rainfall when you actually need it uh, and making sure that you're spreading out uh, your risk and not having all your eggs in, in maybe two or three baskets. Um, I, there's nothing wrong if, if a producer understands what he's doing to put all of his eggs in two or three baskets. Uh, but I will say from looking at PRF for a number of years now, the more intervals you're in, the more likely you are to get a payment year over year. Um, and so it may not be as large of a payment, but you're not going to be paying premium as many times as you would be otherwise. So uh, there's there's something to be said for that as well. Yes, and as far as payments go, um, if a if a grower was in this program, say for a few years, five ten years, are they expected to come out ahead overall with payments yes. versus premium? Yes, and and really the this is again a, a little bit of a math equation to to show you, and so we'll we'll do the math equation verbally. Um, but as Ryan mentioned, we do have some awesome tools that allow us to look at this and even show uh, the subsidy rates. And so that's what really Ryan's hitting on here is, is the subsidy of the policy. 
It's called a subsidy. However, really what it is, is it's a shared premium between RMA, uh, the federal government, and the producer. So the subsidy for uh, PRF at a 90% coverage level is 51%. At the 80 and 85% level, it's 55%. And at the 70 and 75% level, it's, it's 59%. So the lower coverage levels receive more subsidy from the federal government. Uh, and then it's also a cheaper premium rate. And so it's not only just because of the deductible uh, going up that creates that premium to be cheaper. It's also the fact that there's more subsidy dollars spent for those lower levels, trying to kind of push producers into those lower coverage levels. So at a 50, using round numbers here, at a 50% coverage level, at the 90% level, even though it's 51, uh, if, if my cost, Ryan had mentioned earlier up in Iowa um, that maybe we have $80 an acre coverage uh, for a grazing acre. If my cost is $6 for that, then the government's also pitching in $6. And so that's a total premium of $12 an acre. I'm paying six, the government's paying six. However, in a, when a payment comes out, I receive as the producer 100% of that payment. And so I'm paying half the premium and getting 100% of the, the indemnity. That's a, a great way to put it. The producer pays half the premium. They get 100% of the payment. I think that is about as succinct as you can put it. And so uh, RMA targets a loss ratio of about 85%. It's actually 86, I guess. But when the farmer's only paying half the premium and they're still getting out 100% of the payment, 100% of the payment in this equation is 86 cents on the dollar. That's right. And so that uh, that producer over time, because this is a, a program, it's not going to pay the same every year. Over time, the producer's putting in 50 cents and they're getting 86 cents back out. So yep, a very nice, succinct way to kind of uh, understand that. And, you know, I've, I've even heard agents and insureds react to that and say, well, how does this possible? How does the company make any money. And it's because we don't collect just $6 in premium in the example Chalk gave. We collect the $12 in premium and about 10 of those dollars that ultimately goes back out in terms of payments. So it's a, it's a win-win um, and it's a good program for the growers out there. So Chalk, uh, looking at 2023, any tips you have for growers um, as they're looking at PRF policies for, for this coming year? Yeah, I think one tip is to stay consistent. Uh, stay consistent in what your what your risk management plan was with this policy. Um, you know, as you just mentioned, Ryan, over time this policy will pay out. Uh, just the simple math of it it shows that it will. Uh, so stick to your risk management strategy with it, and uh, and stick with it if you are buying it. Um, if you aren't buying it, then then certainly take a take a peek at it. Uh, make sure that you understand how it works. So that way you can see maybe where your land falls, see what grid it falls in. And, and then we can do some risk analysis for you uh, specific to your exact operation. Um, you know, back in 2021, we had some producers who hadn't received any payments all year. Uh, it was it was kind of a wet summer. And, and so we hadn't received any payments come around to our sales close date. We, uh, you know, the producers were saying, you know, this didn't really work. I, I didn't see how it worked out in, in the first year or maybe the second year. My opinion, we should let this play for maybe five years. Let's find a premium dollar that we can, we can work with for a number of years rather than just one or two. 
Um, but uh, producers canceled their policies come sales closing uh, for the 2022 crop year and then turn around. And as the year finished out, they started receiving payments. And so uh, then they turn around and ask their agent, hey, I made a mistake. Can I go ahead and get signed back up? And unfortunately, the answer is yes, but not until the 2023 crop year. And so you're, you have to sit out an entire year before you can, you can get signed back up. So one suggestion that I have too for, for our agents that are listening out there is to make sure when you go, um, go through the sales closing process and talk to your producers about what their risk management strategy will be, to look at what the estimated payments will be for the remainder of the year. Uh, let's take a peek at that so producers understand that, hey, by the way, you're, you're expecting to get another check here, maybe another two checks here before the end of the year. Um, and, and so that way they can see how the policy is working almost through the end of the year. It's kind of a little, little messy situation with the sales closing being before the prior year ends, but that's, that's the best way that we have to deal with it. And so uh, making sure that we are paying attention to what those estimates are going forward um, is, is really helpful. Excellent. Just a couple things that I, um, that as you were going through there, I wanted to mention, um, because we have these two month intervals, we usually have to wait around 60 days after the interval ends before we can make payments. So if I have the June, July, uh, interval that I've placed value in, I'm going to have to wait about 60 days after July in order to get a payment. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, Chuck, is that uh, you had talked about those payments coming late, which I mentioned we have the delay. But if we do have payments coming from intervals that are uh, earlier in the season, those payments actually are going to go towards drawing down our premium first, right? That's right. And so oftentimes what we have happen is if we've spread out our intervals or our intervals are in the first half of the year, um, we have very little premium by the time we get our bill, or sometimes we don't even have a bill at all. Um, not that it works that way every year, but I remember looking through some numbers and I would say it was 30% of the time, 40% of the time, we don't even have a bill because we have um, uh, those intervals paying on the earlier side of the year, uh, drawn down that premium. So um, Chalk, we are, uh, we're getting towards the end here. Let's, uh, pivot here anything else on annual or excuse me prf before we move on to annual forage excuse me yeah no nothing really else on on prf except for just make sure you're going out and talking to producers about it uh there's a lot of areas that we are not touching yet uh as, as an entire crop insurance industry we haven't touched a number of areas and so make sure that um you know you, you learn this policy and then go out and sell it and and the cool part about it is you don't have to sell it in the state that you even work in currently. There's, there's opportunity out there in a lot of different places. And, and if you're willing to travel and go meet people, no matter where they're at, uh, then, then I think you can have success with this. And if you're a producer out there who has some ground uh, that you can insure through a PRF policy, whether that is uh, grazing acres that you own livestock and graze with, or uh, maybe some hay acres out there, if you haven't heard about this policy yet, then, then get in touch with a uh, a crop insurance agent out there. Maybe you're the one you're working with, or if you don't currently work with a crop insurance agent, uh, there's a lot of different opportunities on ways to find one. We even have a find uh, find an agent resource on our on our fmh.com website that you can go fill out a quick little form, and uh, we get notified as sales managers, and then can refer you to to a local agent in your area. So 
reach out uh, and, and we'll, we'll be glad to help you find somebody that will uh, provide some great service for you. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Uh, a couple of the numbers that we looked at the other day, as far as acres, I think most of your Corn Belt states probably ha- have less than 10% market penetration with PRF policies. So I know Iowa, for instance, was 7% of the uh, hay and uh, pasture ground in the state is currently insured under PRF. And it's it's probably honestly less than that because a lot of times those acres don't get reported to FSA. So, um, okay, I teased it earlier accidentally, but talk to me about annual forage. <laughs> annual forage, different beast, different sales closing date, but we're talking about it here because it's also a rainfall index policy. Tell me about what's coming down the pipe with annual forage. Yep, that's correct. So, Annual Forge has a 7-15, a July 15th sales close date, um, and not that there's really anything else going on on July 15th for the crop <laughs> insurance industry, uh, only maybe the busiest time of year for us with acreage reporting, um, but Annual Forge does have a 7-15 sales close date currently, um, and really Annual Forge uses the same rainfall index policy, uses the same grids and same two-month intervals, uh, but we're looking at um, annually planted forage crops. And so this could be your triticale, this could be your wheat that you are grazing, uh, this could be uh, silage, sorghum, anything that you are going to feed livestock with essentially can be insured with an annual forage policy. Um, the uh, The hard part about annual forage is that there's a lot of rumblings that there's some major changes coming to that annual forage policy for the 2024 crop year. So that will come into play with our next sales closing date for uh, annual forage, which will be july 15th of 2023 for the 2024 crop year so more to come with with annual forage changes there my guess is that we'll probably be doing a podcast on on annual (laughs) forage uh come that time because i do believe uh that there's going to be some some pretty significant changes there and not to uh you know give away too much there but generally those changes we're not expecting to be positive for the annual forage policy um prf to this point doesn't look like it's in the um up for any changes immediately but that could change as well given that annual forage and prf are closer related policies maybe there could be changes coming to prf in the future as well but uh we don't have anything final to share just a just a heads up really on annual forage yeah so yep and once we find out what those changes are we'll we'll figure out how to pivot pivot through them um, that's one thing that these, this industry as a whole has been good about is whenever changes come down the pipe, it's not that they're just dead in the water. We'll, we'll figure out a different way to to provide value to that producer utilizing those policies. Perfect. Well, Chuck, I really appreciate your time today and your insights. Good conversation. PRF is always a fun one to talk about, especially when you get to talk about an agent or with an agent or a farmer that's never heard of it before. It's kind of an eye-opening conversation for them. So it really is. Yeah. Any resources that we have out there that uh, somebody that doesn't work with us today could go out and learn a bit more about PRF? Yeah. So uh, PRF, uh, really one of the best resources that I found is is utilizing FMH's quoter. Uh, so our quoter works through the policy beautifully. Uh, it talks about all of the index intervals. It has the county-based value, along with the productivity factor, along with your level, along with the subsidy, and really gets down to those numbers that you need to see on how the policy works. 
the math works out works out great to be able to help explain the policy to a producer while you're sitting in front of them. And then it also has the ability to look back at uh, the historical uh, analysis of of what rainfall's done since 1948 to current. So um, the the quoting tool is a is a fantastic one to utilize. We also do have a, a fantastic marketing department here at FMH uh, that puts together some great print ads and, and um, brochures and flyers. And, and we've got a couple fantastic brochures and flyers for PRF specifically uh, that that agents can be utilizing and and uh, getting in front of producers as well. Perfect. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of the FMH InsureCast. Be sure to subscribe to the FMH InsureCast on whatever platform you are listening to this on and have a great week. Thanks, Ryan. You've been listening to FMH InsureCast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.